Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And he said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And that didn't end with a question. That ended with a statement, even though my diction ended it with a question. So bear with me. Which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have we cast out devils. And in your name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them. Jesus' words are, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And you may be seated once again. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Short reading this morning. But as I review this scripture along with the rest of you, the first thought that comes to my mind is, what in the world, God, is going on here? We are looking at individuals who not only um, profess to be Christians, but said, God, I call you Lord. I call you Lord. You're Lord of my life. You're ruler of my life. Not only did they call him Lord, but they worked many mighty works in his name. The Bible says they, they cast out devils. Amen. Even, even the demons fleed at their gifting, at their calling, at their work. They did many wonderful works, the Bible said, in his name. And they prophesied in his name. And I'm looking at these individuals in this scripture. And I'm thinking to myself, who then can make it into heaven if not these, 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 these elect, these, these called, these gifted, these talented? And God reminds me today as I stand before you that it's not just about the talent. It's not just about the giftings. It's not just about the external. It's not just, amen, about declaring that he is Lord and, and, and calling out and prophesying and doing mighty works in his name because the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I can have gifts all the day long, but never impact a life for God. Amen. I can impress all the day long and never move someone to know Jesus Christ in a greater and more powerful ways. It's not just the external. Amen. I can have gifts and not have God. But there's no way that I can get a hold of God and fall on my knees and pray that that love doesn't come pouring out of my life. Thankful for the love of God today. Thankful for the love of God. My brother, Anthony, sent me an article not too long ago, some of us in our family, and it's straight out of the Denver Post. And if you are a Colorado native or you lived in Colorado very long, you might know what the Denver Post, how many knows what the Denver Post? <laughs> All right, we got a few in here. We got a few, a few more. How many know what the Rocky Mountain News is? All right, this is good. So when you lived in Colorado your whole life, you would uh, come across these, these, these uh, this was before the digital age really, really took off. And you would come across these circulatories. And you were either a Denver Post reader or a Rocky Mountain News reader. And I was a Rocky Mountain News reader. But the Rocky Mountain News is no longer around. So it's, it's out of circulation, I believe, out of 2009. But the Denver Post survived, and they put together this article in this editorial called The Long Shadow. And um, I talked to Bobby about this before 
my message, bless her heart. She's awesome. She's our media coordinator. And, and I asked her to put, to, to put this picture on the board. And, and yesterday, as Bree and I were driving across town, traveling from north all the way to south and, and from west to east, we, we um, drove through this part of town that you see in this picture in the background and we saw the, the smokestacks and we saw the, the different, the industry, the things that were working, um, going on in business and in industry. And I was pointing out to her some different parts of, uh, of this area of town that I grew up in. But the, the title of the article was called The Long Shadow. And it was talking about the shadow that is cast by the highways that crisscross our state. And so being a, a, a Colorado now, however long you've been here, you know that there are two major highway arteries that crisscross our state. And do you guys know what those are? I-70 and I-25. That's right. And you can't hardly get anywhere without traveling on either one of those, right? And, and, and we have a love-hate relationship with our highways because we love them because they get us to where we're going lot faster. I've got to get on the highway. I, I, I don't want to take the back roads and, and I've got to get where I'm going. I don't want to hit every stoplight in town, but we don't like them because they're congested and they're car packed. And if you're riding them a certain time of the day, you might as well just either be late or just, just deal with it because you're not getting anywhere in, in too much of a hurry. And so these, these main arteries crisscross through the state and, and, um, if you're a road tripper, uh, you don't mind traveling. Do we have any road trippers in, in, the, in, the, in the area today? A couple, two or three. All right, all right. You're with me. So when Bree and I first got married and, and we, were, we were broke and we were pinching pennies and we were just, um, you know, scraping by, uh, I, we, we wanted to go places. And the way to go there was to get on the road and drive. So her and I, and I don't know if this is indicative of every marriage, but her and I had different ideas of what road trips look like, all right? A little bit different ideas. So for me, road trip, I put on my driving gloves, and, you know, I got my Mario Andretti kind of mindset on, and, and I said, let's get in the car, and we're going to go to, she, she said, I want to go to Dallas. We're going to go to Dallas. Okay, let's, let's go to Dallas. It's, I've been told it's Dallas, where she's from, not Dulles. All right, I, apparently I don't pronounce it correctly. So let's go to Dallas. So we get in the car, and I say, okay, we got one stop halfway through from Denver to Dallas. <laughs> I said, so let's, you know, we're going to stop and fill up gas. And her idea was, no, we're, we're stopping multiple times along the way to Dallas. And so I said, we're going to fill up, we're going to fill up the car midway through and bless God, we're going to make it there in a hurry. And, and I was excited about, that's my idea of a road trip. We're going to, we're going to get there in record time. And she was not impressed by my record time. So for the first year of marriage, that went off because, you know, we we're going to get along and we're going to compromise. After that, my idea of traveling went out the window. Does anybody feel bad for me today? So every other trip going to Dallas, guess what? We're hopping on a plane. 
and we're flying there, especially, especially after Lincoln was born. We're, and we're going to the airport early, and we're having maybe a, a, a meal, and maybe we'll do some, some shopping, uh, you know, get some things that we need at the airport. We're, we're going to spend a little money. We're going to enjoy our trip, and, and you're going you're gonna to be okay with that. All right, okay, I, I can do this, all right. You know, oh, and you're not just going to be warm about it. You're going to be excited about it, excited to travel my way. So, so, so gone are the days of my road trip. But if, if you're like me, there's constantly a battle with technology. Constantly. I couldn't lap, log into my laptop today. I lost my iPad. I've got to replace it. I'm, I'm with the dinosaur laptop. Forgive me today. And we're constantly, how many, how many, if you fight with technology, you have problems. How many has ever fought with, with, a, with our, our digital friends, our digital companions, if you will? I know some of you have been texting. I didn't mean to pull that up. Yeah, you know, this is so fresh. I was going for this. I, I hate, you know, or, or this one, Apple uh, autocorrect. How many has been bitten by Apple autocorrect? Come on now. I did not mean to say I hate you. I meant to say I love you. I, that was not me. It's not my fault. So I go a step further, and this is like crazy, crazy, was, is when you argue with Siri and GPS. In the car yesterday, we're driving to where we're going, and, and I, I corrected uh, I, the GPS, Siri, whoever the voice is, and I said, that's not how you say it. It's not lemon. We're not driving to Lemon in Colorado. It's Lyman. We're going to Lyman. It's not. And so I'm, I'm arguing with, with Siri, and I've got issues. You all can pray for me after church. And, and I'm saying it's not Zuni Street. I've never heard. It's Zuni Street and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and no, it's not going to take me an hour to get there. I'm going to shave some time off. I'm going to cut around some of the slower traffic. I'm going to get there in 45 minutes because I'm competitive, and I don't like your suggestions. So I have this, this, this love-hate relationship with uh, digital technology and highways. And, and there's probably a stack and a list of other things that we, we don't have time to name here today. And, um, and, and, and all of those things have been a prominent part in my life. But this long shadow in particular that I referenced was a part of my life for a very long time. And it was the shadow of the I-70 highway and that viaduct that cut straight through my neighborhood. And we drove through town um, just yesterday, and I was going back down memory lane. And my wife told me, she said, speed it up. She said, I feel like I'm driving with Miss Daisy. And, and, and we've got, and I'm driving, I'm like in my own thoughts, just driving down memory lane, enjoying, you know, going on a trip to the past and looking looking at my old stomping grounds and thinking, man, we used to go over there and we used to. But this article talks about this part of town in an unfavorable light. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Swansea Illyria place where I grew up is considered one of the most polluted areas in the nation because of the industry, because of the smokestacks that you see, because of the highway because of the, the emission of cars and, and trucks that go by. And our house was literally planted underneath that highway. Like you could not get any closer to the highway than our house. 
You could, not that I, I would suggest anybody ever do this, ever. You could literally throw a rock probably from our backyard onto the highway. And um, I may have tried that. Pardon me once or twice. But anyway, we're moving on. And so we lived there, and, and, and it was a polluted place. And, and um, they don't mention this, but growing up in that neighborhood, where's, where's my friend Justin? Justin was my, my neighbor in, in Swansea, Elyria, on the other side of the highway. <laughs> so we have lots of stories to share. But growing up in that neighborhood, not only was there a kind of pollution that filled the air, but there was a kind of pollution that filled the environment of crime and, and a, a, of sin. Uh, we grew up without a TV in our home, all right? I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but, but being from a conservative family, we didn't really need a TV because all you had to do was open the window shades and look out and you could see some action. I kid you not, there, there might have been a drug deal going on behind our house in a black car parked there in the dark of night. I don't know. Maybe. There might have been, there might have been things lifted from our yard if they were literally not chained down to the, to the wall of the house or somewhere else, just taken and borrowed. And they might have, may or may not have been painted a different color and written in front of our house, being the exact same model, but just a little bit different color, maybe red, not blue. So if you can imagine, and I may have grown up with bars on the windows, the bottom windows of the house. You all don't, probably don't know what I'm talking about today, but, but, um, you might have had perfectly manicured lawns growing up and amazing and wonderful. And I'm not bad-mouthing this place. Some of those houses today, probably worth half a million dollars. You all are familiar with the gentrification of, of Denver, right? You know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to become mini California. And yet, the average home price of a home in the Denver metro, including condos, is 400000 and if it's not a condo, if it's a home that's detached, it's 500000 That's the average, and those are the, the median values. And so things are climbing and rising up. Maybe if we had stayed there a little bit longer, whatever the case might have been. But in that neighborhood, coming from that place, coming from a place of poverty, coming from a place of struggle and difficulty had an impact on my life. And growing up, there were some things that were at work against me in my life and developed and coming out of, of those things were, were uh, emotions and feelings like insecurity. And so I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable today with the church, if that's okay, because I believe I'm speaking to some individuals in this room that need to hear this this morning. And developed out of that place was a, a low self-esteem. And developed from that place was, and I'm not good enough. And coming out of, of that place in life was, I've got to fit in. And coming out of that place in life was, I've got to have an approval of others. And, and coming out of that place was, I, I want to be uh, uh, welcome 
in other circles. I may not have all the things that others have, but, but some way, somehow, I've got a, a desperation to, to get people to be impressed by me and to, and to see me and to notice me and, and, to, and to build my self-esteem. I've got to have some affirmation in my life. And, and so from that stemmed a struggle of trying to make it if you will. And so I began to work on the external features of my life. I began to work on uh, things like, like personality and, and, and things like trying to be funny, trying to, to, to be the class clown, if you will, tell, tell the funny joke, trying to, to be accepted, trying to excel in sports, to be picked first or second on the team trying to be competitive um, to, to, cut, to, to meet up to the measure and to make the cut, if you will. And these pains and, and, and this turmoil was twirling inside my spirit, inside my soul, and, and inside was developing a storm of I've got to keep up. I've got to make it. I've, I've got to build a career. I've got to, to be noticed of others and respected and admired. All of those things, those external giftings and those external abilities and, and talents were being developed and cultivated. And for what reason? And then one day, noticing on the inside of me was largely left unkempt, uncared for, untaken care of. And as a result of that, causing pain not only to myself, causing not only self-destruction and, and um, you know, causing hurt to others, causing pain in others' lives. Because as the old saying goes, hurt people hurt people. Amen. But I believe in this place today that when God gets a hold of us and heals us from the inside out, that healed people can begin to heal other people. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, because Jesus said in that moment, he said, you may have done all these things on the outside that look good to others. He said, but when man looks on the outside, God begins to look at the heart. When man noticed the outside, we can't fool God today. I can walk in this room and, and be a suit and a tie and say all the right things and, and say the religious words and the, and the faith words and, and begin to, to speak uh, the language and the jargon and, and, and fit in. I, I know how to clap at the right time and, and I know how to raise my hand at the right time and, and I know how to bow my head in a prayerful position. I know how to do all of those things. But God says, I'm not being fooled when I can see the inside of your life and they know exactly where you are today, know exactly the condition of your heart and the darkness and the blackness that lies within. Oh, hallelujah. When I began to look at the reflection of my life from the word of God, I began to see a lack and a want there. And for God to say, I want to work on your spirit some more. I've got to work on your heart because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people are impressed with you, how many people think highly of you, how many people look at you with admiration. None of those words matter in eternity. If God looks at you and says, I never, ever knew you. 
for who you were. Oh, hallelujah. So excuse me today if I'm not seeking your approval this morning. Excuse me today if I'm not seeking popularity this morning. Excuse me if I don't care if you think I'm great or not. But I need to take some time to find, hallelujah, myself in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I need to take some time at his throne room and his altar and to begin to say, God, how do you view my heart? Oh, hallelujah. I want to speak to someone this morning when I say too many people are content to live as shattered, broken pieces in the potter's field. Too many people are content to remain there in the potter's field when they don't want to get up and, and find themselves at the potter's wheel where he can begin to massage the rough places in my life, when he can begin to smooth out the hard places in my life, the callous places in my life, the difficult places in my life, the things that nobody ever wants to talk about, the things that nobody ever wants to pay attention to, because bless God, nobody else can see it. All they see is a, a shirt and a tie and some combed hair. That's all they see. Oh, hallelujah. Help us, Lord, today. To get on the potter's wheel, he can never know us enough to transform us unless we allow him to know us. He can never work in us and unless we become vulnerable with him and allow him to see us how we are and allow him to speak into our lives. And so I began to come to God and say this, things like this to him. God, this is my temptation and my struggle and my weakness. This is how I am right now, raw and transparent. Help me in this moment of struggle. And his presence would be there. I began to come to God and say, God, this is me. This is what I look like when I'm down and I'm sad and I'm lonely. This is what it looks like for me, God. Can you visit me today? And pick me up and give me some strength right now. Hallelujah. God, this is what it looks like when I've got depression. When I've got hopelessness in my life. When the world seems to be caving in and, and finances are, are running amok and relationships are falling apart. God, this is how I come to you. Too many people wait to be perfect to get to God. God isn't interested in our perfection. He said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's just dirty. It's just a mess to him. It's not any good to him. Come to me as you are. Come to me, hallelujah, as I created you. And see what I can do in your life. So I began to come to him. God, you asked me. I'm coming, not when I feel good, not when I feel faith. If you wait to come to God until you feel faith, you're going to be waiting for an eternity. Oh, hallelujah. Hear me today, church. I believe God is speaking to someone in this place. When I say that we need to come to God, no matter what condition, the best time to come to God when, is when there's nowhere else to turn. The best time to come to God is when suicidal thoughts began to cross your mind. The best time to come to God is when there's nobody else that understands. When there's nobody else that sees you, he 
sees you. He knows you. Hallelujah. He knows you. He's looking at your heart. He's seeking for someone who is willing to be open and transparent to him and say, God, I am not perfect. God, I've messed up by a long shot. God, my attitude reeks to high heaven. My spirit is, it's a stench and it's stinky. Sometimes I'll go to God and I'll tell him, God, I have the worst attitude right now. Like the worst. And I'm not kidding. Can you help me right now? Can you help my attitude, my spirit? I, I want to be right with my, with my sister and with my brother. Because I have a terrible spirit. I got no sleep last night. And I'm in the worst mood. And I'm cranky. And if you say something to me wrong, I may snap at you. I don't know. Um, I may give you a, 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 a look that could, uh, could kill a rodent. I don't know. But, but, but God, this is what I look like right now. Help, please. Please help. Because I love my brother and sister. I love those around. I want to I be blessed. I want to get along. I want to have unity. Visit me in this moment. Visit me in this place. And God says, I'll turn your attitude around in a minute. And I leave that place and I have joy and I have peace and I have contentment and I feel good and everybody looks awesome and everybody smells like roses and, and like everybody, I want to be your best friend and go to dinner with you, whatever the case might be, because that, that's what God does for us. So I'm speaking plainly to this church today, and I'm, I'm speaking some practicality to this church today. Amen. Because I need to hear it this morning. I need to experience. I need to know and know the love and the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. God, know me in my temptation. Know me in my weakness because I want to be an overcomer. I want to be more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we can be more than conquerors. Someone explained that to me one time, that it means that that thing that the enemy is trying to conquer you with, God will use it to turn it around to bless and to speak in others' lives. Hallelujah, to be able to minister to others. That's what I want to do today. If you have a button that keeps getting pushed, guess what? God's going to keep pushing that button until you surrender. God, I'm tired of this button being pushed in my life. If you have a trigger that keeps triggering you, God's going to keep triggering you until we surrender and that button breaks. Oh, hallelujah. He's going to be pressing it and pressing it, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He wants to smooth out the rough edges in your life. He wants to create a vessel fit for his glory and fit for his kingdom. Hallelujah. How many are with me today? Amen. God, keep pressing that button. I want to get my heart right. Keep pushing that button. I want to get my place right. Hallelujah. I want to know you. So I looked at this scripture and I did some theological in-depth composite triangulation. Just kidding. I didn't do all that. But I looked in the scripture and I looked at the Greek words of that phrase and I have them highlighted, that two word phrase highlighted in red in my notes of um, that just stands out in that scripture when Jesus told them, 
I never knew. And I looked at the Greek and I said, man, this is deep. What does it mean? And can you guess what I found that never knew meant from Greek to English? It means, and this is heavy, so stick with me. It means never knew. Who knew? I never knew. That's what it means. It means never knew from the Greek to the English. So that's deep. Thank you, God. We're, we're, we're ready now. We're ready now. But he told them, he said, I never. And you know what that means to me? That means never, ever. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name right now. That means not once. Not once. Did you come to my presence when you were hurting? Not once did you come to me when you were lonely and broken. Not once, never did you come and bow at my feet in humility and say, God, touch me in this place. No, you kept up the walls. You kept up the barriers. You kept up the defense mechanisms in your life. Not once did you allow me to get to know you as I want to know you in your place of weakness and brokenness. Not once did you let me in, though I knocked at the door time and time again to your heart and your soul. And I said, let me in. Let me in in your addiction. Let me in. Let me in in your struggle. Let me in. Let me in in your pain. Let me in. And we kept him at arm's length. He said, I never knew. New meaning to know. New meaning to have a familiarity. New meaning to have a relationship. New meaning to know you in an intimate way. New meaning to know everything about you. You let others know when you were down. You picked up the phone and and, and you went off on the phone to your friend. But not once did you come to me where I could truly know you and transform you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. He says, I'm trying to make something of you. James 3.10, he says, out of the same mouth can there proceed, proceed blessing and cursing. He said, my brother, and these things ought not to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? There's no such thing as a sweet and bitter watered fountain. There's no such thing as that kind of fountain in our life in God's eyes. He said, you're one or the other. I want to make you a water of life. I want to make you a fresh water. I want to make you something of beauty and and something that I can use and something that I can work with. And as I come to a close this morning and draw to an end and a finish, I want to point out a passage in the word of God found in the book of Ruth. And it's a beautiful story about a mother-in-law and her daughter and their relationship. And I want to spend just a few moments here just to, to develop this story because it, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing that, that Ruth's mother-in-law went into a foreign land, the land of Moab. And they had left a famine. They had left a a difficult place. And while in that land, the Bible says in in, in the scriptures that, that, that her sons, Chilion and Malon, married wives of the, of the land of Moab. And their names were Orpah and their names were Ruth. 
And the Bible says that they dwelled there for a period of time, 10 years, a decade. And it says that, that those, those, those husbands died. Those sons of that woman, Naomi, they died. They passed away. And her husband, Elimelech, that had taken them into a foreign land, he died. And so they were left together to band together. Hallelujah. And the Bible says in verse 6, if you'll put that on the screen, Bobby, with me, that after all this happened, that, that Naomi rose with her daughters, and she wanted to return from this country. And she heard uh, how that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread back in her homeland. She says, we're going to go back again. And, and so she says to her daughters-in-law, go and return home, and the Lord deal kindly with you. And, and, and verse 14 says, and they lifted up their voice and wept, and Oprah, Orpah, she kissed her mother and left. She said, I'm, I'm out of here. And she went back home, and, 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 and I believe that, that, that these women, there, there was something about them. This, this book is called Ruth. Because God is talking about this individual and this woman in this story. Of all the people who are mentioned in this, in this story, this book is, is highlighting Ruth. It's not talking, it's not called Boaz or, or Naomi or Limelech. It's, it's, it's about Ruth because there was something about Ruth and about her spirit that God saw and God loved. The, the, the actual meaning of the name Ruth is a vision of beauty. Imagine if, if, you, if, if, you, you know, if you had that kind of name. But she wasn't beautiful just on the outside. She was beautiful on the inside. And she told her mother-in-law, she said, I have a love for you. I have a loyalty to you. She says, I will not leave you like Orpah. I will not abandon you. Verse 16, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, don't entreat me to leave or return from following because where you're going, I will go. And where you're staying, I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And if we skip down to verse 20, thank you for sticking with me, Bobby. It says that Naomi, when she came home, and saw all of her friends and all of her family. Her name, the name that meant pleasantness, the name that meant a, a beauty and, and an amiableness, a ability to be pleasant in the presence of others. She said, that name no longer identifies with me. She said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter and sorrowful. Call me Mara, for the, uh, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Listen to me today when I say we can allow circumstances in our life to allow us to mean, re remain sweet and prayerful and worshipful. Or we can allow the struggles in our life to make us bitter. Come on, hear me today. To make us cynical to make us, cause us to be jaded, cause us to be hardened, cause us to be calloused. God says, that's not what I want for your identity. I have called you in a moment of sweetness. I have called you in a moment of love because I want to use you for my glory and for my honor. He said, I don't want you to be calloused and hard and on the inside. I can't do much with that.
But if you'll surrender with, to me and allow me to transform you in the identity that I have called you to be and chosen for you, you can be lovely. You can be a vision of beauty to all those that you come in contact with. I want to restore that in your life today. I don't know if you believe it or know it, but God wants to know you in a way that he can transform you and make you, hallelujah, a vessel in his kingdom and in his service today. He wants to take you back to the original blueprint of what he intended for you. The enemy wants to pile on your life, struggle after struggle, difficulty after difficulty, dim your vision, dim your hopes, dim your dreams, dim your views, so that the end result looks nothing like what God had ever intended for you to become. Hallelujah. To make a long story short, Boaz sees this Ruth in the field. Come here, Stephen. I, I asked Stephen to help me on this part. Bible says that, that Boaz, he saw this, this, this woman. If we go over to chapter 2, and, 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 he, and he says to his, his servants, uh, he, he says to his friends, he says, uh, hey, um, in verse, chapter 2, verse 5, Boaz says to his servant that was sent over to the reapers, he said, who's she over there? The, the words he uses is, whose damsel is this? Because he noticed her outer beauty, and he, he's looking at a servant, he says, come on, Stephen. Tell me who she belongs. You know, Boaz was a smooth guy. It's, the Bible is exciting. People think that the Bible is, 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 you know, it's something to read to fall asleep. The Bible has romance in it. It's got tragedy. It's got drama. And so Boaz, you know, if, if you're a single young man or a lady today, maybe you can relate to Boaz a little bit. He says, who is, you know, maybe you're at youth congress or youth camp. Or, who is that over there? That's what I want to know. Tell me. Talk to me here. He noticed her outer beauty. But the Bible says later on in the scripture that Boaz said, hey, there's not something just about the outside of her. There's something on the inside of her. He said, Ruth, I've, I've heard the story of your loyalty. He said, I've heard the story of your work ethic, how you worked in the field. And the Bible says she hardly even took a break. She works so hard. Boaz said, you've, you've got my attention. I want to know more about, is she dating anyone? Does she belong to anyone? Talk to me. Who does she belong to? I need to know who my competition is. And the servant kind of told her, him everything that he knew. And, and, and in, that, in that moment, and in this, in this scene, in, in, in this story, she reciprocated that affection and that attention back to Boaz. She said, I want to belong to you. She said, I want to, I want to be yours. And Boaz said, here's where the drama comes in. Boaz is the protagonist. He's the, those of you literature, literature buffs. He's the protagonist in this story. He's the hero, the superhero. And in my, in my eyes, the superhero wears glasses like Clark Kent. I don't know. That's just my own little twist on the story. But he, he's the superhero, and he comes in with the cape, and he comes in, he swoops in, and he says, but Ruth, he says, there's a nearer kinsman than I. Bum, bum, bum. 
tension rises. Who is this nearer kinsman? Who's this other one? Tell me. I've got to meet him. I've got to do something about this. Come on, this story's interesting, right? It's romance. It's drama. And this nearer kinsman, he's the villain. He's the antagonist. He's, he's the one that, that we've got to deal with. And the Bible says that Boaz comes to this man in, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 4. My last portion of scripture here. And he says, I thought to advertise it. He's saying, buy it before the inhabitants. Boaz was a smooth man. He, he was smooth. I am not smooth. My, my opening line to Bria was, man, the desserts on this table look great, don't they? And yeah, it, it fell over just about like that, like you noticed there. And so we had to work from there. So we had a, a low baseline we had to build. But Boaz, he was, he's smooth. And he goes to this man and he says, hey, listen, he said, um, you know, I'm, I'm standing here before the elders, my people. And he said, if you'll buy this land, he was just talking about the land right there. He didn't bring out his true intent, which was the girl. He said, if you'll buy this land, tell me and I may know, for there's none to redeem it besides you. And, and he said, and the man says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll redeem it. I'll buy it. Boom, done deal. It's mine. Then said Boaz, but, oh, wait a minute. The day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, you must also buy Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. Ooh. He was, you know, he was kind of working this up. To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the, and the kinsman looked at him and he said, I can't buy it. He said, I might mar my own inheritance. You can, you can read it right here for yourself. He said, I might, uh, he said, redeem thou my right to yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And the Bible says in verse 7, it says, now this manner in the, form, in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming. And this is why I asked Stephen to come up here because he's understanding. But it says, in the form of redeeming. He said that they would change or to confirm all things. A man must pluck off his shoe and give it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. This man said, I want nothing. To do. You can have my shoe for the price of a shoe. He gave it all away. I don't know how he got home because I think one of the main modes of transportation that day was shoe leather. So he probably looked like this, and he didn't care. He's like, I'm out of here. Keep my shoe. I'll see you next time. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just for the price of a shoe, he gave it all away. Hear me when I say this. Others may not have value. That was very high for you. Others may not see in you the value the pricelessness. Stand with me in this place. That Jesus says, hallelujah, when I see you, it might cost me all of heaven. Philippians chapter 2. It might cost me all of glory, but I will come down. It might cost me my very life, but I love you so much. 
I am willing to give it all up. Others may see in you the price and the cost of just mere shoe leather. But in my eyes, I see one that is priceless. In my eyes, I see one that is worth all that I could give in, in heaven to come down. The Bible says he took on a form of a servant. He gave up his heavenly robes of authority and godliness. He said, others may just, just, just cast you away and cast you off like you're not worth very much. Others may quit on you and give up on you. Others may stop long before they have to pay a price. He said, but I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth for you because I love you. Oh, mighty God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, in your mighty name, let that sink in today, church. Let that sink in today as we begin to talk to him right now. Oh, with our own hearts, with our own hearts, what is God trying to accomplish in your life? I believe that there's more than just a few in this room that God is speaking to right now to say, you can't even imagine how much I love you. You can't even imagine what I would do for you. If you could only see and open your eyes, don't settle for less when you can have more in me. Oh, I want to open this altar and invite us to step forward. Will you join me in the front of this place today?